Welcome to You Might Relate, a podcast where we take relationships and mental health to the next level. I am Stacy Heaps, a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing therapy for the last 15 years. There are counseling concepts and stories that I am excited to share. When we know better, we do better. Together, let's get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are while improving relationships and tackling life's transitions, one therapy concept and one story at a time. So let's get started to see if you relate. Sarah, welcome to You Might Relate podcast. I'm so excited. This has been on my calendar for a couple of weeks now, and every time I see it, I just got so excited that I get to see you and talk to you. We met for the first time. Did we know about each other? I swear we might have known about each other, but I met you for the first time at Sunstone in Hilldale, Utah, I think in 2018. Yeah, you want to talk about a niche event. A niche event. That's true. Because Sunstone is huge in Salt Lake, but not so big in Hilldale. But we were both there and you were volunteering, right? Yes. Yeah, we were there with the Fern Foundation to renovate parts of Warren Jeff's former home to accommodate families leaving polygamy. Yeah. So you were there for that. And I wish I would have been there for that because you got to take a tour and everything. I toured it, but on my own, not with an official tour. But I was there presenting at Sunstone. And then we talked afterward. There wasn't enough pizza for me. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I was okay with it. Anyway, it was so fun to meet you. And ever since then, I've been kind of following you. You now have, well, you're a coach. And yes. you have an amazing podcast called The Ex Good Girl. And I have really enjoyed listening to it. And I relate to it in so many ways. So I'm excited to talk to you today. I love that this Ex Good Girl podcast has been so fun. I'm just so glad it's meaningful to you. Yes, and I think it's meaningful for a lot of people. So let's start with, would you call yourself a stop people-pleasing coach? Yeah, that's what we do. We stop people-pleasing and perfectionating <laughs> and codependencying. I don't even know, that's not even a verb, but you just we do all that. Yeah. I just made it a verb. Did you develop this passion for helping people not be a people-pleaser because you were once a people pleaser. A hundred percent. Oh, and still am. Still am. I okay. think it's it's a behavior that is so ingrained, not just in the female. I mean, it's ingrained in all of us. And, you know, we'll hopefully get a chance to talk more about that. But women have an additional layer of this good girl programming that really intensifies the need to be perfect, to make sure everybody likes you and everybody is happy with you. And there's decades and decades. I'm going to be 50 this year. And so that programming really runs deep. And so even though I do have and do teach some really effective tools and I've used them on myself and hundreds, possibly now, you know, thousands of women and they work, I'm still finding little places where I'm like, oh yeah, it still pops up. It's still there. There it is. Oh my word. I mean, you've talked about it being generational. Can you talk about maybe where you feel like it comes from, at least for you? Yes. For me, it comes from, well, and and actually, if I could just give a, a broader background, because every single one of us yeah. are born as a baby who is completely incapable of taking care of itself. Right. And there's this biological programming to cry. And so a baby cries when it's uncomfortable or when it's wet or when it's tired or when it needs to eat. And then some big person 
comes and takes care of it. And so from our earliest experience in a body on this planet, we learn about, oh, if I do this thing, if I cry, someone comes and takes care of me. It's an essential part of our early programming that if I act in a certain way, I either get rewarded, I get taken care of, or as we grow older, we learn that there are some behaviors that we get punished for. Oh, right, right. So from our very earliest existence, I mean, you have children. Do you remember holding your baby and you'll smile, the baby smiles and you get a big smile. Oh my gosh, she's smiling, she's smiling. And so your response is a big smile. And then she, what does the baby do? Smile back bigger. Yes. Yeah. And so we learn, oh, the big people like it when I do that. I get a great response and I feel loved. We hug our children, we play with them, we bounce them and connect with them. And that is a literal human need, connection, love, belonging. And so we make a very early connection. When I do the things that the big people like, I get loved. I get connection. I get taken care of. I get my needs met. Yes. Think about how primal a connection that is. Well, and connection is so important, right, for our development. And we are a pack people. We need our pack. We need that. So we want that. Yeah. Yeah. And, And very early, we learn the rules of our pack, right? This is what we do. This is what we don't do. And when I keep the rules, I get rewarded. I'm praised. I get love. I get attention. Mm -hmm. I get words of affirmation. And when I break the rules, I get punished. I'm sent to my room. I'm separated from my pack. I am told the different ways in which I am not doing it right. And I don't feel good. And so as creatures who need the pack, we are programmed to follow the rules of the pack. Yes. Oh, my word. We are conditioned for that. Yeah. So not necess- you're not saying that's a bad thing. That's just, it just no. is what it is. Yeah. You and I are here because we successfully people-pleased, <laughs> right? That's literally the truth. When we were incapable of meeting our own needs, we convinced other people that we were worthy of taking care of. And they did. They loved us. They look after us. There's a whole spectrum of this. Like there are very loving, attentive, good parents out there who meet the needs of their children with a lot of generosity and, and kindness. But there are other parents who aren't. And so those kids have to figure out how to get their needs met too. Right. And sometimes that's when they develop extra pleasing behaviors because they know that they need the big people to take care of them. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? It is. It is because, because we beat ourselves up a lot. Women, especially Even men, we use this term people-pleasing against us as if it's a bad thing. Right. It is not a bad thing. The problem is not that we people-please. The problem is that we don't know how not to people-please when we don't want to. Yeah. So when we're no longer dependent on big people to meet all our needs, when we can do some of that on our own, we have such a strong programming for people-pleasing that we don't know how to turn it off. Got it. Okay. So that's what you're teaching us is yes. to how to turn it off. We can turn it on when we need it. And I mean, just because you said it that way, I just want to point out that people-pleasing, actually another word for it is loving, responsive, reciprocal relationships. 
So for example, if you and I are friends, and we are, I want to do things that please you. I want to be responsive to your needs and your wants. And I want you to be responsive to mine as well. That's actually a healthy relationship. Right. Figuring out our time here to do the podcast was us doing that. <laughs> right? Yes. yes. Time. I can do it at this time. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so one of the essential skills that we need to learn is how do I differentiate between the people pleasing or the behaviors that I want as part of my relationship because they are healthy and loving mm -hmm. and the behaviors that I want to eliminate because they feel terrible. I feel stuck. And I don't feel like I have a choice. Yes. Okay. I'm so glad you differentiated that because I do think that we hear the word people pleasing and it is said in a negative tone. We can learn that it's okay, but how do I feel after I did that or during or before? What's coming up for me? What am I noticing? Does it feel yucky? Does it feel like it's not mutually beneficial for both of us? Yeah. So the way I define people pleasing is the internal experience of not feeling like you have a choice because of what someone else will think or say. Not feeling like you have a choice because of what someone will think or say. So then you do the thing that you think they want to hear or do or have us do. Yeah. Let me give you a little example. Okay, oh, okay. sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's funny just to think about your kids because I do have a son who I think has developed himself enough that he does not want to people please me anymore. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it shocks me. Oh, you don't want to come and play pickleball with me? <laughs> Why not? I'm your mother. And so what you're saying, though, is actually that's really healthy. Incredibly healthy. Yeah, yeah that right. he feels free to express his opinion to you. No, I don't want to do that. And yeah. he doesn't feel like he has to take care of your feelings. Oh, that's brilliant. That's what we would want all of our young people to be able to grow into, right? Yes, but there is a little part of me, Sarah. So what does it say about me that I'm like, but don't you want to please me just a <laughs> I will say this, and I'm not talking about you specifically. Nothing pisses off a people pleaser like other people who aren't people pleasing. Yeah. No, I think you are talking to me. <laughs> No, I and I think I've grown and I know that and I love that about him and I can see that and I totally respect that he does. Pickleball is not his thing. He doesn't really love it, but I just want to spend time with him. So anyway, I'm just trying to fill this out for myself, too, while we're talking. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think a great question would be to the son, how can we spend some time together? I really want to spend some time with you. Yeah. So I get what I want, which is time with you. And you get what you want, which is not pickleball, like something yeah. that interests you as well, because the goal is to spend time together. Yes, I love that. Okay, now, I don't know if you can remember what you were going to say before I inputted my son into the conversation. <laughs> oh, not at all. I, I just want everyone thinking or listening to think of a time when something was requested of you and you didn't feel like you had a choice. Let's say that you wanted to say no. I talked with a, a, a client a couple of weeks ago. She was invited to a, an all-day birthday party of her best friend, but her best friend's family was also going to be there. And she doesn't really enjoy being with her best friend's family. So she was invited to the party and she said, I can't say no. She's going to be mad. She's going to think I don't love her. So that is exactly what I'm talking about. When you think I can't say no or I can't do what I want to do because of the consequences, that's people-pleasing. Yeah. 
And then really, though, there could be consequences. Oh, for sure. So then would it just be, I'm going to say no, and maybe she will be mad at me, or maybe we're not sure, but maybe she will. But then we have to be okay with her being mad because then we're not being authentic in that relationship, right? Yeah. Here is, I call it the dirty little secret. People pleasing is highly uncomfortable. Imagine my client, you know, spending the money and going to this birthday party. She's spending an entire day really uncomfortable. She doesn't enjoy being there. She's wishing she was somewhere else the whole time. She's kicking herself for saying yes. That's uncomfortable. Yes. Not people-pleasing is also very uncomfortable because now she has to tolerate the anxiousness that she might be disappointing her friend, some worry about what she's going to think. It's also uncomfortable to not people-please. And so our choice is which type of discomfort do I want to feel on purpose because it moves me in the direction that I want to be going or it gets me the result that I want. Right. And I love that. We, you, you and I have the same language that way. What do we want to do on purpose? What's our intention? Yeah. And the only way that we can really get invested in feeling the discomfort of not people pleasing on purpose is if we're really convinced this is the direction that I want to go. This is what's best for me. This is what I really think is going to make my life better. Because the other thing that happens is if you continue to please other people, you continue to give them the expectation that you're always going to please them. And so it's a never ending cycle of disappointing yourself by attending birthday parties forever that you don't want to attend. But if you choose the disappointment of saying what you want, standing up for what you want to have happen, expressing your opinion, that is highly uncomfortable in the beginning, but it gets a lot easier. Right. And then people know that they can trust that you really want to be there. Or maybe you go for, you know what, I can come for an hour. That's how much I can tolerate your family. <laughs> Love you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can only come for an hour. Just so being honest is like a true friend to yourself and a true friend to your friends. Yeah. yeah. So I am the oldest of seven kids. And I think, do you have a single? I'm the oldest of six. Oh, you're the oldest of six. So that's why I think I relate to some of the things you say so much because probably not on purpose, but I was given a lot of responsibility and I wanted to, you know, show what I could do and get those good jobs and pats on the backs and hugs and, oh, you're such a good helper. And I was told that all the time. You're such a good helper. You're such a good mommy. Oh, I was told that so much. (laughs) You're such a good little mommy. You're in preparation for being a good mommy. Yeah. How do you know I want to be a mommy? (laughs) Because maybe I'd want to do something else with my life, right? So that it was just, I felt like I I was just put into that. And I'm not saying bad or good. My parents are fantastic. I'm just saying I became one of the top 10 people pleasers of the world. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you and every single other person who socialized as a female, right? Because- I think what you speak to is, it's just so interesting and it, and it doesn't really matter. You know, you and I both have experience being members of the LDS church and it doesn't really matter if it's specific programming through a culture or a religious organization or just your family. There are roles that are handed to us before we even know what's happening. 
I was the same way. A sure way to get my mom's love and approval. And my mom is amazing. I love her so much. But a sure way to get her love and approval was to help her. And so I became the helper, always scanning the room for who I could help, who I could do something for, who had a need that I could meet so that I could get the hug, the pat on the back. You're such a great helper. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, then there's this other part of me that's like, I do want my kids to scan the room and see what they can do to help, but not because they're going to get accolades for me, but just because I want them to care about other people, but not putting that above themselves. So how do you differentiate that? Because you do want your kids to grow up being kind and thoughtful. And I do feel like I'm very kind and very thoughtful. That's one of my greatest strengths. I just don't want to do it and then feel resentful later. I want to do it and feel good. So how can we help our kids? Maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves in this conversation, but how do we help our kids to maybe scan the room and see what they can do to be helpful and thoughtful and relieve someone else's burden, but also want to do that and have a good intention in doing that? That is such a great question because what it speaks to is the inherent tension between myself as an individual with my own needs and wants and myself in the pack, right? Which is also essential. We can't give ourselves fully over to the pack and never realize our own wants, needs, and desires, nor can we be an island unto ourselves who only ever worries about ourselves. And so I actually love this conversation. I don't think there is a right answer. I have some thoughts about it and here they are. Okay. I think that when... And I guess the other thing to say is that that also speaks to some nuance that children developmentally grow into having the capacity for. They're not, they don't have it when they're young. And Mm -hmm. so I think when they're young, it is very appropriate for me to teach my children my values, what I think is important in the world, and to show them by example that I'm doing some of the same things. And as soon as I feel like they are ready. My guess is, you know, five, six years old. I can also start to introduce to them, hey, how do you feel? How are you feeling right now? Pay attention to what's going on in your body. Are you tired? Do you need to rest? Let, let, let me make up a, you know, scenario. We're all going to go to grandma's for dinner. And the kid is like, I don't want to go to grandma's for dinner. I'm like, I know. Sometimes we do things that we don't want to do because they're important. And maybe I choose going to dinner at grandma's as one of the things that I just, I want us to do as a family. Mm-hmm. But I also have to start giving equal airtime to what do you want as an individual so I can help develop. And again, it's never too late to do this. Uh, my guess, you know, I was an elementary school teacher for uh, several years before my kids were born. So my guess is right around five and six is when you can start teaching where kids have the developmental capacity to learn, oh, I'm a person, I'm separate from you. And I have my own wants and needs and sensations and feelings and things going on inside my body. And unless I am taught to pay attention to it, my default will be to always pay attention to what the big people want from me, because that's how I survive. Got it. So it's, you know what the big people want, Mm -hmm. but now we're going to start looking inward and start, like you said, giving airtime to also what's going on inside you and letting you notice. And you still might need to go to grandma's. <laughs> yeah. But 
at least you know if you could have a choice, you would stay home and take a nap or you would play your video games at home. And that is just noticing your wants and desires for you. So you're just letting them feel that or even talk about it and get it out so that it gets equal airtime. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't let five-year-olds call all the shots, right? There's a very good reason why big people are paired with little people in terms of like the survival of the species, right? But I think validating, like I get really tired sometimes too, and I don't want to go to grandma sometimes too, but here are the reasons why we're going. And I like those reasons. Other times I'm going to listen to the reasons that you have And you're going to get to make any decision you want for the reasons that you like. It's impossible to have like a formula because every situation is different. Every kid is different. But I think one of the critical things to remember is I didn't start doing this for myself till five or six years ago. And I'm going to be 50 this year. So it's never too late to do the work for yourself and for your kids. It's something I talk about with my 21-year-old and, you know, my older children now. It's never too late to start building awareness of how my wants and needs work with and around the needs of the pack. Yeah, it's never too late, right? I love that. Okay, so are you kind of the same as me as far as how you became a people pleaser? And you said that you just recognized it a couple years ago. I did. My kids, we homeschooled for a lot of years. There was a lot of, I was just so, 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 so busy. And the busyness of womanhood is a really beautiful distraction from feeling our emotions, from feeling into what I want and I need. And the programming, the religious programming and the gender programming was really strong for me. And so I really felt like dedicating my day, my life to taking care of kids and taking care of my house and taking care of family things really was the best thing to do. And then all my kids wanted to go back to school. And so all of a sudden I had an an empty house. And for the first time, I thought, I don't even know what I want. I I mean, honestly, full disclosure, I watched Jane the Virgin on Netflix for the first two weeks of everybody being back in school because I literally had no idea what to do during the day if I wasn't busy doing all the mom things. Right. No idea of what you would enjoy just on your own by yourself alone. Yeah. I suddenly had lots of free time, you know, kids in school from eight to three or whatever. And I felt completely clueless about what I wanted, what I needed, what would light me up. And it was so unsettling. It's almost like I discovered that my personhood or who I thought of as myself was dependent on taking care of a bunch of other people. And when those people weren't there anymore, who was I? Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, we, we're kind of a doing people, especially women, like do, and we get a lot of our worth from doing and not just being. My worth comes from being. I am just worthy and enough, just as I am, even if I am watching Jane the Virgin eating Doritos, or not to say that you ate Doritos, but that's why I love Doritos. Even if we're doing nothing, our worthiness doesn't leave us, right? Yeah. So it's innate. It's just in us all the time. Yeah, that's just one of the things that women in general are not taught. We are socialized to believe that our value 
is in what we produce for other people, how we take care of them, how we meet their needs, and how we put their needs before our own. That is a valuable, selfless, sacrificing. That's a good woman. Somebody who not only is constantly serving other people, but she puts herself last. I know that is a hard thing to hear sometimes because now you and I might hear an obituary or something that they're praising someone for never putting herself first. And now we're like, oh, she was miserable inside or she didn't ever get to figure out what she wanted or what she loved and just who she was without serving everybody. Yeah, it's an existence that is dependent on what other people think of you. And that doesn't feel like you're a person. Yeah, it feels like you're a robot. Yeah. Non-human. Yeah. But man, Sarah, it's it feels like a little fine line sometimes. I mean, do you feel that? Or is it like... Hey, Tim, tell me more about the fine line. Because just like I was saying before, and maybe this is me being so conditioned to... I want to be that type of person who likes to serve and help other people and not necessarily because of what they're going to think of me, but that's how I want to show up in the world, but not at my own expense. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's a fine line though, because people are going to give me accolades for serving them, but that's not why I'm doing So I guess what you're saying is you just have to know internally why you're doing something and recognize it's not to get accolades from the other people. It's just doing what you want to do. You know what? I don't even think that there's something wrong with doing something for accolades. I mean, I try really hard not to say that things are good or bad because I think as humans, we all flip into behaviors that later we wish we hadn't done, right? And we can call it a mistake or a failure, whatever. I don't love talking about it that way just because I have a foundational belief that people are doing the best they can. And so if I show up, to serve someone else. And I really hope they notice and they appreciate me for it. I don't think that's terrible. What I do hope is that we have also maybe paused for a minute to make sure that we're showing up to serve for reasons that we like too. This is just who I want to be in the world. So whenever I'm walking a client through like how to tell, how to feel into that, there's three steps that I always teach. The first step is to never say yes in the moment. So let's just make up an example that we can work with. Let's imagine that you were asked to come serve on a volunteer school committee, right? For such and such thing. It's going to take some time and energy. You're picking your kid up at school. The teacher comes out or somebody and says, hey, we really need some help with this. Can we count on you to come be on the committee? You never say yes in the moment. You have a memorized phrase Something like, I'd love to think about that and get back to you. Or I need to check my calendar. Or so interesting. Yeah, let me circle back. Some kind of phrase that buys you some time. Because in the moment of being asked, sometimes it's a stressful experience for some of us, right? We start to get anxious. We're like, I don't want to say yes, but I feel like I have to. uh." In that stress, we actually lose access to the thinking part of our brain that helps us make good decisions. So we want to pause because we're making the decision from the least equipped part of our brain to make a good decision, which is stressed and some heightened anxiety. It's not always like that. I like to pause no matter what, even if I'm feeling totally calm about it, 
Because once I pause, then I can do step number two, which I call forecasting. What that means is I just go home and I'm like, all right, so the committee is meeting four times this month for an hour on Wednesday night, plus the day of the carnival. It's going to be eight hours. It means, okay, so this is like a 12-hour commitment. I'm going to have to set up. I'm going to have to take down. You literally run through the cost of the yes. Okay. This is what we don't do. We say yes. That's why there's so many funny t-shirts of like, seem like a good idea at the time. Because we don't think it through with the best part of our brain. Once we forecast, we're like, okay, so it's 12 hours. It's setting up and taking down, which last time I did this, I hurt my back. That's the, the potential for that. It, they're asking for you know a $200 donation. Mm. Do I want to do this? Right. Or what part of it can I do? Yes. Oh, what? yeah. Exactly. That's when you have access. Nobody's in front of you asking for you to make a decision right now. So there's no stress. There's no rush. And you get to just sit with, all right, this is the cost. Do I want this? Do I want part of it? Do I want some of it? Do I want all of it? And you get to examine your reasons. It's important to me to be a member of my community, right? I really love my kid's teacher and I really want to help her. I do not want to hurt my back again. That was miserable. So maybe I volunteer for everything but the setup and takedown, right? Or maybe I just make, maybe I choose, you know what? I'm just going to make a bigger donation and let them hire someone else to do it. Maybe that's how I want to handle this. Or maybe I just say, thanks for the invitation. It's not something that's going to work for me right now. Love it. The third step, once you forecast, then you have to pick the discomfort that you want to feel on purpose. Pick the discomfort. Yes. So pause, forecast, pick. And you can't pick until you have calmly looked at both of your reasons. And then when I'm at the school carnival and it's 95 degrees when it said it was going to be, you know, 80, I'm like, all right, I chose to be here, right? So I can be uncomfortable, but I chose to be here. And there's power in making a conscious choice either way, even if it's I chose not to be here. Right. But it was me who did this. And so I'm going to take accountability for whatever choice I make. Right. That is really cool. And you call that your three what? I mean, I don't have a super fancy, my my three steps to examining people pleasing. You know, pause, pause, forecast, and then pick. And it's a learning process. Sometimes we're going to pick and realize, oh my gosh, I'm still people pleasing. I really do not want to be here. I still have some work to do on this. And so if you can be kind and gentle to yourself about no matter what you pick, that is just going to make the process so much easier. When we beat ourselves up for past choices, even if we think they're mistakes, we spend so much time spinning in the judgment and criticism of ourselves that oftentimes we don't just feel the disappointment of having chosen something that I wouldn't choose again and moving on. We get stuck in so much criticism and self-judgment. Yeah. And so, and it could be criticism that I didn't just say yes. Or it can be criticism that I didn't say that I would do this part of it, but not the whole thing. Or, yeah, so whatever choice, it could just, you are not being kind to yourself. And so I'm sure that goes into a lot of what you talk and help people with is just being kind to yourself. Once you've made that decision, 
have your own back with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because when I realized the thing I'm going to say next, it was transformational for me. And it is this. If I fully and beat myself up, I am not safe anywhere. Because I'm with me all the time. Right. Sarah, I want, it brings tears to my eyes because I've heard so many teenagers and adult women criticize the way they look, the way they play, the way they talk, the way they're known or whatever. And it's just exactly what you said. When we are with ourselves 24-7. And so if you're going to be your own bully, you are literally a bully. You have a bully with you all the time. All the time. It was a huge part of why I was constantly low-level anxious. Any minute, I could screw up and get something wrong, and I just would be horrible to myself. Check in for just a second. Are you anxious? I think there's a lot of reasons why we're anxious. And let me just say, I don't think this is just it. But across the board, when I work, especially with women, the way they talk to themselves is a source of anxiety that is 100% in their control. Like COVID and lockdown and school on Zoom and running out of toilet paper, we don't control those things. Right. (laughs) But we do control the way we talk to ourselves. And it is always an area where everyone that I work with can always do some good work. And it always makes such a huge difference when they do because they now know Listen, I'm going to say no to this cool carnival lady and she's, I'm going to have to watch her face, be disappointed in me. And she might tell the other parents that, you know, Sarah Fisk is not as committed to our community as the rest of you are. Who knows? But I am never going to mistreat myself on top of just feeling the disappointment or the anxiousness of whatever is happening. I know I will always be super tender and kind with myself so I can put myself in situations that are uncomfortable, because I know that I will have my own back. Yeah. And that is your superpower. And anyone who can develop that kindness, it it is a superpower for yourself. Because now, instead of having a bully with you 24-7, you have your best friend with you 24-7. You know what? You'll get it next time. That's okay. You did your best. You're beautiful. You've got this. You're so smart. And when yes. we say that to ourselves, then now we have, gosh, we, what can we not conquer in our life? Yeah. Now, now you get to live with your own cheer squad, right? Your own kind, loving person who always believes the best of you. Even if you didn't handle something the way you wanted to, that's where I find it to be most beneficial for me is there, I still make a ton of mistakes. And I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, something that I said to my husband the other day that just, it wasn't kind. And so I recognized it later and I was like, you know what? I, that's not who I want to be. Right. I wouldn't say it that way again. And I'm sad that I hurt him, but I can just feel that sadness and feel the hurt and repair it. And it's never about me being a bad person. No, because then what are we going to do? Walk around constantly miserable if we were like, putting ourselves down for every negative thing that we said to someone or every mistake that, I mean, mistake, I call them experiences. But I love that because the repair is the more important than being perfect, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And 
when you have a relationship with yourself that is gracious and generous, then not only can you repair faster, but then you can actually take risks that you might not normally feel comfortable taking. And and let me give you an example. So I grew up a member of the LDS church and I'm no longer practicing. And when I decided to step away, I knew that it was going to crush my parents and very, very difficult for them. And so I had done enough of this work that I recognized that a lot of the reason why I still wanted to go to church was to please them. I didn't enjoy being there anymore. There were things I disagreed with. There were things that hurt, but that I was trying to still be the good daughter. And so when I finally decided to tell them that I was stepping away, it was a painful discussion. They cried. They were very forthcoming about all of the things that they were afraid of for me. And I could hold space for their fear and say, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that you would feel that way. I get it. I understand why you think this is a terrible mistake and I feel differently about it. That's not my reality. And at one point I said to my parents, I think it would be wonderful. I would love to have your trust. I would love for you to think that I am wise enough and good enough to know what is good for me and to have you trust me that way. But if you don't, it's okay. Because I have my own trust. Yes. And there's no way I could have said that and meant it 100% if I had been beating myself up and worried and judging myself for hurting them. Right. And I think that is such a good example, Sarah, because a lot of my audience are coming from FLDS or the mm-hmm. Centennial, yeah. Jehovah's Witness, and of course, LDS. And there's a lot of people that are deciding to step away from the faith that they love and grew up in. And it's not just hurting the parents, but it's hurting the community that you don't want to disappoint the community, your leaders, your friends, your best friends, your family, your extended family, your dead grandparents and great grandparents across the balance. And so when you say that your parents would be disappointed, it's like you can't emphasize that enough. How deeply, and I just, and I, you know, I have parents whose kids left their religion, their faith that are listening to this. Yeah, I know how hard and the depth of pain that you feel. And I also want to honor those like Sarah and anyone who has their own back, though, is intentional about the reasons. I've heard some people that leave will say to people just to make it more comfortable. Well, I just didn't like to go to church anymore. And it's not true, but it's easier than telling them the 25 different reasons why they're not. They just want to get it over with fast. So what you did, though, was I love you, parents, and I know that this is hurting you and I'm still going to do it. And then afterward, you did you cry? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. We're we're both a mess because, I mean, I know what they have been taught that my decision means. I have put our eternal family in jeopardy, right? By making this decision. And I can really, I mean, the heaviness of that is, I feel it and I can have so much compassion for it. And so this is where I think my favorite sentence 
comes in so handy, which is that makes sense. I totally get why you think this is a terrible decision. I have so much compassion for that. But I feel like you are your own person. I am my own person. I get why you feel that way. And for me, it is a no. For me, it is different. I think so many times we have to leave a relationship or a group or a we have to make them bad and wrong in order to justify leaving. And there can be bad and wrong things that have happened. I don't want to negate that at all. But I also want to say that there is a way to leave a relationship or a group or a situation with compassion for how, why they feel the way they feel. And it still doesn't matter because I still get to make whatever decision is congruent with the person that I want to be in the world. Yes. And I love that word congruent or aligned. It just, we have to have the ability to, we have to give ourselves the freedom to align with who we feel we are, right? A hundred percent. That's what you did. That was probably, I mean, would you say that has been your greatest presentation of being a recovering people pleaser in the negative way? (laughs) A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier with the pack, I mean, we need to belong and we belong in our family. And when we're doing something that signals not belonging, I think that's one of the most tender and difficult things to do. And that's why it's so essential to know and like your reasons and to not make it worse. It's already hard and sad, but we make it worse with our self-criticism and our self-doubt and our self-judgment and our second-guessing. If we can eliminate that, then all we have is what I call the clean pain of a change, a change in the way we thought things were always going to be, that they're not anymore. And that in and of itself can be very painful. It's very normal and very natural for that to be painful. We keep it clean by just feeling that pain and not piling on a bunch of judgment and criticism on top of it. Right. So just to clarify, I love these terms. There's clean pain and dirty pain. So can you define both of those? So dirty pain is when, if you can imagine, I'm holding up my hands and something about, you know, the size of a volleyball. The pain of leaving my religious culture upbringing, the religious organization in which I was raised in and really thought I would always belong to. Let's imagine that the sadness and the grief is about the size of a volleyball. When I add on criticism and judgment and self-doubt of anybody, of them, of the organization or of me, then I'm out here. And if you can, my, my hands now are about the size of a beach ball. Now I'm out here spinning in the judgment and the criticism and the condemnation, which really, there's not a good way to resolve that. So you're all of your time and energy is criticizing and judging and blaming and who's wrong and who should have done something differently rather than being with the core of that pain, the volleyball size. This is sad. This is hard. There's some grief here. There's some disappointment. There's some worry. There's some fear. And feeling the dirty pain wraps up the clean pain. So you don't even get to feel that because you're outside spinning in the judgment and the criticism, which there's not a good way to resolve that because somebody has to be wrong. Somebody has to be bad. And nobody's ever going to admit to being wrong and bad. Right. Which we want to teach that two things can exist at the same time. Yes. Neither of us are wrong. Neither of us are bad. But yes, we are making different choices. 
And those two things can exist. And all of the religions that I named earlier, it does seem like you're either this or you're this. You're either doing this or you're this. It's bad. In or you're out. In or out. Evil or good. You know, and it's like, no, I want to reject that and just say there can be good and we can make a different decision, even though or there can be bad and I can make a different decision. So do you have any stories of people that you have helped? I know our time is coming to an end. You work with a lot of women with this yeah. exact thing. And does is there a particular story that stands out to you? Because your story of you is phenomenal. But do you have any others? Yeah. One of my favorite clients, her name is Tammy. That's not her name. I'm using a different name. She was a single mom and really got stuck in paying for a lot of her children's bills that she could not financially afford to do. She was barely making it. She was getting older, didn't have any retirement, but she had attached loving her kids to paying for their bills. And it was just getting to the point where it wasn't tenable for her anymore. She had to start saving money, but she was so worried about telling them that she wasn't gonna be able to pay for a lot of the things that they were used to enjoying. And the fear that she had around that was very real. And I know some of us listening might be like, what? That's dumb. That's, you know, why did she do that? But when you are in the behavior, it feels very important to you, whether it's paying for your children's bills or acting a certain way around people so that they like and accept you or giving your time to, you know, volunteering. We all have behaviors that, that I think are, are like what Tammy was doing. And so as I coached her to feel the fear of telling her children, you know what, this isn't working for me anymore. I'm going to pay until this date. So you have some time to get these, you know, expenses under control for yourself. She became the most phenomenal decision maker I think I've ever seen in midlife. She made some huge decisions about romantic relationships that weren't working. Once she felt empowered, she went through her life, felt like top to bottom, and just made so many decisions that made her life better because she felt she'd finally found a place of power for her. And what is interesting is a lot of the women that I work with, they're afraid that if they stop people pleasing, that they will be mean. That's the ultimate thing that women do not want to become is mean. But what actually happened is as she became more powerful, she found a really deep well of love and empathy that she didn't have before because she was so resentful that she was paying for her kids' stuff all the time. Right. (laughs) Yes. So we can become who we want to be. Yes. When we are not doing things out of resentment. So it just sounds like from top to bottom, I mean, there's so many different ways in which I mean, it can be financial, it can be with relationships, it can be with your faith, it can be with volunteers, school, your kids, your spouse. I mean, there's so many areas. So what would you say to women? Like, just go to your specific area and see where you're not aligned? Yeah, we all get little messages from our bodies of, oh, I don't like this. I feel stuck. Pay attention to those because your body has information for you In our heads, we can talk ourselves into a lot of things that we don't really want to do. So feel into your body. That's where the wisdom and the information is that is essential to pay attention to. Because if you're not feeling good in your body, why? 
what is it about this that I don't like or that is not working for me? And how can I get more of what I want? Come follow me on social media, Seraphis Coach on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm this is what I'm talking about every single day. And it is my mission to help women find that loving, powerful place where they're not people pleasing, but they have those responsive reciprocal relationships. They're not mean, but they have found powerful love. I love it. Sarah, do you have a worst chore that you hate? Oh my gosh, cleaning up after making dinner. I hate it. That's the first one that anyone's ever said that. Oh, really? (laughs) I love to cook and I love to make a big mess when I cook. And then I do not like to clean it up. Someone else needs to clean it up for you. Also, what is one book that you have found to be the most beneficial that you've read? Oh, I just finished reading a book called Platonic. It's by Dr. Marissa Franco. And it's all about the importance of platonic love. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. I love it. And we're going to post in our show notes all the places that people can find you. I think your message is important. Go listen to her podcast, The Ex-Good Girl. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So great. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today on You Might Relate. I hope this topic brought understanding and insight. And if you can relate to something in today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at You Might Relate Podcast. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. The more understanding we create, the better we are as humans. You are in charge of your day, so go make it a good one. Catch you next time.